Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Outreach Podcast. We're so happy to have you. I hope everyone enjoyed the last couple weeks hearing from uh, Pastor Daniel and Steve Salvatore on street ministry um, and Roger Hart last week and some of our missionary guests. Um, I hope you're getting a really nice picture of all that's happening here at His Providence Church and all that the Lord is doing in ministry. Uh, This morning, we are here with um, a very special guest to me. Um, my husband, John Gagney. I'm, I'm special. Very special. Um, and we are here to talk about bags of hope. Uh, as some of you may have seen, if you're walking through his Providence Church, the boxes that are piling up, that's your indication that it is officially bags of hope season. Um, if you see boxes lining the corridor, um, lots and lots of like Cole, Cole's, Cole's boxes. boxes. Cole's boxes and, and Amazon boxes. That means we're here. We're in bags of hope season. It's begun. Um, So actually, Sunday, this podcast will air after Sunday. And Sunday will be Belong Sunday, where we do a big focus on foster care and adoption. And you'll get to learn about all the inner workings of that at His Providence Church. Uh, But today we wanted to focus on bags of hope. Uh, For those of you that are newer to this community, wanted to share a little bit of the backstory of how bags of hope came to be and where it is now and uh, and making sure we're always sticking to the heart of the project. So uh, we're going to jump in. John and I are going to take you back to the beginning. Take you back. (laughs) Not the beginning of us, but the beginning of bags of hope and where it kind of started for our family and and how it came to be. And then we're going to catch you up to speed on where we are now. So um, I think it was 2009 or it 10. Was, we were it in was the same year that the church class. started. No, oh, no. oh, you want to yeah. go back that far? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we were in map class. Yeah. 2009, 2010-ish. And we were uh, being taught all about foster and adoption. And they would go through all of these like situations and scenarios of things that you could possibly encounter when fostering or adopting a child out of the foster care system in Massachusetts. And I remember during that time, the the uh, social workers that were leading the class were talking all about trauma and different types of uh, traumatic experiences these kids can have and things that would trigger uh, a child um, as they go through the foster care system either about their removal or whatever. And I remember them telling this story and the story was about a a young boy, maybe I can't remember. I think he was like 14 and he had just recently um, found his forever family and they just finalized the adoption. And I guess the story of this, this young boy was that he had been removed and then transitioned through multiple different foster homes um, in his journey to finding his forever family. And one morning after the adoption has already finalized, they're sitting down at the table one morning, getting ready for school and they're eating breakfast. And the dad walks into the kitchen and because it was trash day, he pulls a trash bag out of the 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 full trash bag out of the trash can, ties it off, and then grabs um a a new trash bag. And when he opens the trash bag, and you know we when we open the trash bag many times, you kind of like whip the bag to like add air into it to like 
get it to open up to put in the trash can. When he whips the bag, the young boy, I guess 14, I think, 14-year-old boy sitting at the, the table eating breakfast, and he just loses it. He starts screaming, I thought this was forever. I can't believe this is happening again. And he's saying all these things, and the parents are like so confused. They can't figure out what's going on. And the social worker then says that this young boy had PTSD from moving in foster care so many times because one of the aspects about moving throughout the foster care system is that they always place your belongings in a trash bag. And in normal John Gagne fashion, I just kind of yelled out in class without raising my hand. And I just yelled out. I said, are you kidding me? And the woman stopped and looked at me. She's like, what? I was like, is this for real? Like that these kids experience trauma from these trash bags? And she said, yeah. I said, but why is it that at this day and age, we have not come up with a solution that could reduce that simple little like, well, that thing, that trauma that we haven't come up with a, a solution, a way to solve the problem, to make sure these kids are not experiencing this type of trauma and add a little bit of dignity to the process of having to move through the foster care system. And then she went on and on and on to explain why it was not uh, financially feasible, why it wasn't logistically possible, like all of these reasons why. And I just couldn't believe it. And I was like, man, we, I think we're going to have to do something about this. Yeah. A lot of times when kids are removed, it's, it's emergency situations and social workers are on the road. And so many times they pull up to a home where they have to do a removal of kids and they run inside and they have a, a lot of them travel with a box of trash bags in their car and they run inside. They help um, the police officers a lot of times remove the kids and they have the kids throw some of their most treasured items into a bag and that bag then travels with them to foster care. So when John and I first heard heard this story, to be totally honest, we I remember we went to lunch that day and we were talking about how it must be a myth or an exaggeration and most likely it's not something that occurs all the time. It must be the one-offs. Um, and then I had read a couple of books of kids in foster care following that and heard more about kids traveling with trash bags. And uh, shortly after our foster care classes, we went to pick up our 11-month-old son who was going to be an adoptive placement. So we were going to a foster home to pick him up. And when we arrived there, the foster mom had handed him to us. And she said, I've got one more thing um, in the basement. And she went downstairs and she pulled out a black trash bag that was full of stuff that had traveled with him through five foster homes. And it was really at that point that we were driving home. We were on 195. Yeah, we like <laughs> just pulled on the highway. Just pulled and on the highway. And I turned and looked, and looked at you and you looked at me. <laughs> We were like, yeah, that's it. Like, okay, we've experienced this. This happens. We've got an 11-month-old in the car with a trash bag. Um, What can we do? And it was at that moment that we decided we were going to do something. Um, But for me, it wasn't just meeting the physical need of a bag. It was something that had more ownership on it. And, you know, a lot of times when it comes to Bags of Hope, a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, I've heard of projects where they do bags for kids in foster care across the country. Um, But I think something that really sets Bags of Hope apart is the embroidery on the bag with the child's name on it because it's an ownership piece. It's very easy in foster care to leave a bag behind or to things get mixed up in foster homes or group homes. But having something with your name on it is is really speaking to your identity and um, who you're called 
And so that's been something we felt very strongly about from that car ride home. Um, So actually, I think it was following this experience very shortly after. It's heading into Christmas of 2011, first Christmas of his Providence Church. And I got up on a Sunday morning, very small room at the time, and just said, hey, John and I, this is what we just experienced with foster care. We would love to put some duffel bags together, have them embroidered with a child's name on it in foster care. Yeah, for like families that we know. Yeah, families that we know or some kids <clears throat> in foster care. We're thinking we'll do about 30 bags to start. Is anybody willing to help us put these together? And I remember after that service, Frank and Sandy Kowalik, um, they own Sandy Lane Sports in Warwick. They came up to me and they just very casually said, hey, we own a sports shop. We'd be happy to help embroider the bags. We can actually order the bags at cost and uh, we'd love to help with this project. And so honestly, John and I were thinking, oh, this will be nice. We'll do a few bags for Christmas and this will be great. And so I emailed actually the Fall River DCF office. I had, we had a friend there, um, in, a social worker. In Taunton, too, I think. No, right? it was just Fall River. And so we emailed Fall River, and um, she emailed me back and said, absolutely, here's a list of 30 kids. And so gave it to Frank and Sandy, and they started embroidering bags. We started getting a team together to purchase items to go in the bags. And then the the list kept coming, like more and more social workers in that office kept sending over more and more names. It was their first name, the age, and the gender of the child, and they just kept coming. And I think we got up to 100 that first year. Uh We weren't just expecting to do 30. Yeah. And it was incredible. We uh, delivered them to the office, and the response was unbelievable. And when we did that, I honestly thought that was like a one-and-done kind of project. It wasn't something we were looking to make into something. It didn't have a name. It didn't have a 501c3. It was literally just the church coming together to meet a need. And um, so when we were heading into the next Christmas season, we actually didn't even think much about it. And then we started getting emails from social workers saying, can you do this again? Um, They had spread word to other offices. Um, More people in foster care were coming out saying, hey, we need this in Rhode Island. And it just took off from there um, across Mass and Rhode Island. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, every every year for the first like five years, the number either doubled or tripled the amount of bags we're doing. So we went from like 100 to like 350, then to like 750, yeah, then no. to like 1200. It was, I mean, it was like crazy. Yeah. The numbers, the, the numbers grew, um, I think, for Frank and Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> who volunteered to do 30 bags, um, you know, and they've continued to do that ever since. Um, they've been embroidering bags for us. So this is year 12. Is it 12? I think we completed 13. 12. It's, this is the it. 13th, 13th year. This going is the into 13th, 13th year. year. Wow. Doing it, yeah. Guys, it's very blurry. It's <laughs> it's a lot of bags. Yeah. Um, and I think we'll be over 40,000 bags by the time this season is done um, over the past years. But um, Frank and Sandy have embroidered almost all the bags except for um over the past couple years an awesome team in dayton um run by adam adam saying yeah Yeah, design design to science yeah they've been doing a couple thousand bags a year for us which has really made a huge difference and allowed us to expand to multiple other states um so right now i think we're currently covering mass 
Rhode Island, Connecticut. Uh, we have some bags that head to New York, Tennessee. We added Georgia this year, Florida, Indiana. Um, and we're in the process of launching a few other states. So it's been it's been incredible uh, to see these bags just go across the country and be able to stay true to what we originally wanted, which was to make sure that the names were on every bag um, and that as many items inside the bag were as personalized as possible, not just throwing some toiletries in the bag and calling it a day, um, really making sure that the items inside. So the LaPlante family um, here at HPC, they cricket, cricket, thousands of squishmallows, which are one of those kid favorite toys um, with the child's name on it. So it adds an extra little piece of something special. And it's so common that social workers and people will just say, hey, just give me a blank bag so I can like just give it to a kid if I need to. And I know that's convenient, but we have really worked hard to hold fast to what the Lord called us to, which was making sure we are identifying and calling each one of those kids yeah. by name. And throughout the years, it's um, it's like evolved and morphed a little bit in some diff- some areas. Some of it, you know, have been like very true to from the very beginning. I remember when we, the first year we were trying to figure out, because one of the things that, again, the easy thing to do is just throw stuff at a problem. You know, like there's a lot of ministries all over the nation that do bags, they do backpacks, they do duffel bags. And, you know, for different seasons, different times of the year, sometimes they just have them on hand all year round. It's a bag with things that kids need in it, which is great. Um, but we felt very, this was very specific that number one, like, like Kim keeps saying the name being embroidered on the bag and spelled right. That was one thing that was like a non-negotiable. And we always say like, that you know santa would check his list twice but we check our list like 10 times because like we there's nothing more insincere than when somebody gives you a gift and they spell your name wrong on it it's like that that is just you feel like you're not loved or that you're forgotten and and that's one of the things that we want to make sure these kids know that that someone knows their name that they are known and um and then the blankets i remember we um we were like well what kind of blanket should we put in this and i started bringing Kim to like all different stores and we're like buying blankets from all over the place and we would like wash test them, them wash yeah. them so we would like give them, we'd give them to our kids we'd put them in the washing machine like over and over and over and over again and sometimes like these bl- some blankets they just almost like fall apart after so many times and we wanted it to be something that was high quality that that they could have with them and keep with them and wash and take with them for 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 years and um and so we found a blanket that Kohl's sells. And I remember the first the first time we we found this blanket and then Kim went on Black Friday to Kohl's. Well, they had a better deal. It's Black they, Friday. So so yeah, it's a $40 blanket and it's a really, really nice blanket. And of course, like $40 is a lot of money budget-wise, but on Black Friday, they're $7.95 or whatever. Anyway, Kim ends up in there. She finds all the blankets that she needs and then she lays on top of a pile of them in the middle of the store and calls me from her cell phone and says, I need you to come to to Kohl's right now and help me. So I throw the kids in the car and we run over there. And then meantime, the manager walks by and she's like, are you okay? And, uh, and, and it kind of started this partnership with Kohl's where they, they give us that black Friday price to be able to buy these blankets because the quality is so important. And that's one of the things that we really try to do our best to hold fast to, um, even financially as, as things have changed in our economy is 
not just throwing a bunch of junk in the bag, but trying to do our best to make sure everything is high quality. Um, you know, we always tell people like, if you were giving this bag to your own child, would you just throw just random stuff in there? Or would you be very careful and select what you want to put in the bag? And we feel like that's really important that the, like, again, it's part of the being known and, and doing this with excellence is that we try to always hold fast to, to that quality of what we're doing. Yeah. And so, you know, when we talk about like where this started um, for the first year, I remember the items for these bags being we had a very small church space at the time. So they were um, all in our house and we had the the things for the bags like running in a line throughout the kitchen and up the stairs. And I think Christmas morning, like Christ, the week of Christmas one year, we couldn't even like open our fridge because there was so much oh. stuff in our um, <laughs> in our kitchen for Bags of Hope. And then the second year, we ended up with a trailer in the church parking lot. And every day we would unload the trailer into the church space, set it all up, pack it back up while we were packing the bags. Um, and then we moved into some rental spaces for years because yeah. it had grown. And those rental spaces never had heat, sometimes very no. limited plumbing. They, like like puddles of water. Puddles of water, <laughs> water pouring in the ceilings, but we needed a cheap space to rent. And so um, we did that for years. And the Bags of Hope team is very familiar with wearing lots of coats and layers. We actually yeah. had our kids in snowsuits at some points because in pack and plays and snowsuits because of how cold the space was without heat during the winter. Um, and now we're here at HPC in the River Lobby. And it is a stretch because all the other ministries kind of have to move and uh, flex with the couple weeks of Bags of Hope um, season. But it's amazing to have heat and lights and uh, all those things as we put bags together, even though it's a, a lot of boxes and a lot of moving. But we're super thankful to have uh, to have that space available. So um, as we head into this season, um, I wanted to share a little bit. I actually came across notes from when we first started um, for one of the Sunday morning presentations back like first couple years. And I was looking at the financial needs at this time for this to make this project happen. It's always been a really heavy financial lift. Mm -hmm. And um, I was looking at the notes and like just what we needed at that time, which was so minimal, which felt so big. Uh, this year, I think to do the project, it'll probably cost around 225000 from start to finish to get the bags out for this year. Uh, so the way we cover the cost of the project is through a couple fundraisers, and you'll be able to he he'll have heard about those um, through social media, through uh, Belong Sunday, but um, that's the 5K. We have mm -hmm. the pies. Um, we have a number of things that happened throughout the year where we get these fundraising opportunities. But one of the really special opportunities in order to help, people always ask me, how do I help with Bags of Hope? And a lot of people want to come out and volunteer, and that's awesome. We do have limited volunteer spots just because of the amount of incredible churches, partnerships, schools. Yeah, I think over the years, we've, we've partnered with about like 70 churches in New England. Yeah, there's this. a lot of hands. Um, so in order to get everybody some hands, we try to spread that out. But one of the greatest gifts you can give to Bags of Hope is sponsoring a child. Um, it's $25. That's what covers the cost or part of the cost for the bag <laughs> at this point with inflation. It used to be the It cost. used to be $25. Now the bags cost more around 40 probably. Um, but if you can sponsor a child, which what that looks like is we put the name of every child that we do a bag for on an ornament. 
we work hard with DCF to make sure we're not duplicating kids um, so that they, if they received a bag previously, we do something different for them. Um, but we have every name of a child on an ornament. And what we ask is that someone sponsors that child for $25. They take the ornament so they can pray for the child throughout the year. And that covers the cost of the bag. And we can almost always cover the entire cost of the project with that sponsorship. So if you have friends or family or coworkers, a um, business, a business yeah. people that are interested in sponsoring a child, it's a huge blessing to us. It really helps us make the project happen. It helps us be able to do more kids um, and continue to expand to other states. But my favorite part as we close about Bags of Hope is the awareness that it brings for the need of foster care. Yeah. We've seen a huge, like a, 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 almost like a, it's hard to believe actually the amount of fruit that has come through Bags of Hope in, in when it comes to foster and adoptive families. And um, I know you're going to kind of get into that and I don't know if you have even have the numbers ready for it, but um, I, there was a family I was just talking to a couple months ago here at HPC that I recognized them, but I couldn't place where I knew them from. And they had just started coming to the church and they, they said, you know, um, the first time I heard about his Providence church was when you came to our church four years ago and presented about bags of hope and how we can partner with bags of hope. And during that service, we felt like the Lord put it on our heart to foster and adopt. And then we got licensed and we started fostering and then we adopted. And then now they ended up coming here to HPC in this community that has like all these families that foster and adopt. And this has been such an amazing fruit um, of this ministry. And again, the bags are really important to us. And we feel like, again, the dignity aspect of it to let these children know that we're loved. And I could probably sit here and record a podcast about four hours long about all the stories that we have heard about how, when children receive these bags and the impact that the bags themselves have had, but you have lived firsthand the impact of what has happened in the hearts of, of the church because of the awareness that the bags of hope brings. Yeah, I mean, I I know anybody that's heard me speak anywhere has heard me say that I feel incredibly strong that it's the church's call to care for the orphans. I always have felt that the uh crisis of orf- or crisis of orphan care has always um landed on the door of the tur- church and that's where babies were always brought. Yeah. And somewhere along the line with the separation of church and state, we lost sight of that. And then the church lost sight of the need. Mm -hmm. And I feel that Bags of Hope has given us an opportunity to make that a realistic picture for the church. So for example, if I tell you there's 10,000 kids in Massachusetts foster care right now, and over a thousand of those waiting for adoptive homes, those are just numbers. They're hard to picture. But when you start to be in a room where you see the number of duffel bags and you see them stacked up and you see the number of ornaments and each one represents a child and many of those kids we know, which makes it even harder, um, you start to really get a sense for how great the need is. And I think that that's where we see the project not just become another feel-good Christmas project because that's not what we're looking for at all. And the second that it becomes that, we're not interested in it. All set. All set. Um, what we're interested in is uh, bringing in awareness and awakening the church to what we've been called to do. 
I firmly believe that the church is the only one that can change the landscape of foster care, the only one that can meet this critical need um, across multiple states, across the country. The right way. The right way. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, as we head into Bags of Hope season, we just wanted you to have some of the background where this all came from, uh, how the Lord birthed this on truly his own uh, this is not something we sat in a room and had a brainstorming session on (laughs) on a whiteboard or felt this huge need to open an organization we've always wanted it to stay underneath the church is the church's answer um, to meeting the needs of kids in foster care and so um, it's just we've just been hands and feet and allowed the lord to just continue to birth this vision um, across the country so Super thankful for all of the people that make Bags of Hope possible. This is a huge team effort. We have an, inc- I, I always say, I think the Bags of Hope team might be one of the strongest. Yeah. Uh, they're just incredible. Well, there's some diehard. Diehard. We have some diehard I mean, volunteers. They're the, they're the best, yeah. I mean, they're like looking to sign up to volunteer in like July. Yeah. You know? Like, okay, just yeah. a few more months. Yeah. Hold it's on. An, uh, it, it, it's people that do incredible things to make this happen and drive crazy distances yeah. um, john's parents are driving to indiana, uh, to indiana this, this week, week uh, to get some <laughs> yeah. bags out kind of emergently and um, we have the caffins that are headed to tennessee and yeah. georgia to deliver down there uh, just great uh, team effort to make this all happen so we appreciate it yeah and so i just um again just just consider this like even in the season <clears throat> one of the parts about the ornament and as we close with this just when we we don't sell the ornament necessarily as a fundraiser, even though that's what it's doing. Um, our heart behind even the ornament aspect of it is we put that child's name on it. It's their first name, their age and their gender. And we tell everyone like this ornament is represents a child, like a living, breathing, actual child in our state right now. We're in foster care right now. And our our goal or our heart behind it is Yes, we need the money to fund the project, but really we say, hang that ornament on your Christmas tree, hang it in a place where you see it in your kitchen window on in your, you know, stick it to the bathroom mirror where you can see this ornament, where you can see the child's name and pray for that child. We have, we have like, you know, Christian schools all over the area that do this as a project for the school and they hang the ornament on the blackboard and every morning the class prays for that child. And then it's like crazy when six months later that child walks into that classroom because now they're being fostered by a family that volunteered for bags of hope and then they get licensed and then now that child is sitting in the classroom that their their student or their peers were just praying for them months months before it's really impressive to see how god will move the hearts of people and then bring these these children into places that where they're loved and they can grow and so and that's really our heart is that when you see that child's name when you see that bag it's not they're not a statistic they're not a number um they're they're a child and the lord loves them and the lord wants to see them um step into a family and be loved and be safe um and grow and to grow into the knowledge of him and so that's really our desire and so um yeah, we just, and with that, I think we want to close in prayer. Um, is that what you want to do next? Yeah, if you want to close in prayer, <laughs> as we close in prayer, um, just if you want to know more about Bags of Hope, you can go to uh, bagsofhopene.org oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, for all the information. Uh, you can also see us here in the River Lobby, um, probably till mid-December. Yeah. Lots going on there. 
And uh, just want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen and pray into this uh, and just believe for the Lord's continued provision and impact um, through this ministry uh, as we continue to spread across the country. Yeah. So Lord God, thank you for just what you're doing um, in and through our church, Lord, and how for the last 12, 13 years, we, we've had the honor to carry the vision um, for this ministry and for your heart for these children, Lord. And um, God, you you are the answer. Jesus is the answer for the broken system that is foster care, um, for the families and for the the hearts of of the mothers and the fathers and the children that go through these difficult seasons. And Lord, we just um, just uh, ask you, Lord, to just move over our states. God, move in the foster care system. Lord, I pray that that your church will rise up an answer to call the call to love the orphan well, um, to to um, reach out and to and to grab a hold of these these young um, men and women of God that the ones that you've called to just be uh, a productive part of your kingdom, God. That but they've just they're hurt and they're lost and they feel alone, God. But that they will know that someone loves them that we're praying for them, that they feel cared for, that they feel known, God, and that and that you will raise up um your church to respond to this, um, to just this 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 very broken um uh, part of our of our society, Lord. And so um God, we just thank you for what you've done over the years in this ministry, and I pray that you'll continue um, to uh, anoint Kim with strategy and blueprints from heaven. Give her wisdom and discernment, Lord, and um, ultimately, God, we just want to make sure that you and you alone get all the honor and glory through everything that Bags of Hope does and everything it is, Lord, that it's your heart and that you get all the honor and glory for it. And so we just thank you. We love you. And uh, that this year will just be another great year of seeing um, your kingdom established um, in Swansea, in New England, in these other states um, as it is in heaven. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Outreach Podcast where we talk more about exciting Christmas outreach opportunities coming up. Mm-hmm.